This is A is for Adversity, a podcast about curating your life stories to connect more deeply with others. Some stories may have Christian undertones, and all stories will involve a realization or transformation of some sort. I'm your host, Jen Banks. This is episode F, Finding More Stories. This week, I am so excited because I have a crafted story to share with you by an actual professional storyteller, Matthew Dix. Before we get to that, however, I wanted to share a few tips with you on storytelling and specifically how to find more stories. When you Google Matthew Dix, likely one of the first things you'll find is his TED Talk about homework for life. I encourage you to look this up if you have not yet, because... Even if you don't plan to tell stories, applying this simple tip will greatly influence your life. When Matthew Dix started telling stories professionally, he soon realized that he was going to run out of stories. So, being an elementary school teacher, he assigned himself some homework. He decided that every day he'd write down the most story-worthy moment from his day, and through this he developed a storytelling lens. Another thing you can do to find more stories is a brain dump. You know those exercises you did in high school where your teacher tells you to just write down everything that comes to mind, even if all you're writing down is, I don't know what to write about? Before you know it, thoughts will come to your mind and those will connect to other thoughts and bring up stories. A tip that one of the moth producers suggests is the game First, Last, Best, and Worst. This is even fun for car rides. You name a noun, and then everyone has to think of their first, last, best, and worst of that noun. For example, dentist. The first time they went to the dentist, the last time they went to the dentist, the best experience they had at the dentist, then the worst experience they had at the dentist. Other easy examples are your first date, your first car. Those often lend themselves to good stories. On my mission, one of the families at the dinner table would go through the happy, the help, and the hard from their day. We often find more stories when talking to others. Their stories will trigger a memory in our minds. I'll include more strategies in the future, but these should get you started. Okay, on to a story from Matthew Dix. He emailed me this audio file, so I am sharing it with his permission. I'm walking down a very long hallway in the mathematics building at MIT. They call it the infinite corridor because this room is filled with math nerds and they like to name their things in mathematical ways. Truly, it's a building filled with geniuses and I am not one of them, absolutely not. It's actually odd to objectively be in a building where you are 100% the stupidest person in the building at that time. And I know I'm the dumbest person in this building. I am not a student or a faculty member. I am just a storyteller who has been brought into campus to teach the geniuses how to tell stories. And so I've been in rooms throughout the day meeting with faculty and students. I'm in these rooms where they actually do math. There's chalkboards, real chalk, that slide around. And on every chalkboard, there's equations. And in all of the equations, not a single one of them has a number in it. There's just symbols, like there's a level of math where numbers just stop mattering and they start using a language that I can't decipher. And it makes me feel like an idiot. I'm walking down this hallway to the bathroom. I've left 60 geniuses in a room behind me 
because I have to pee. And so I told them to talk amongst themselves and I will be right back. And as I'm walking down the hallway, I pass these two students, like 20-somethings. And as I pass them, I hear one of them say, well, if you take three quarters and you divide by the differential and they just walk by. And I think, that's the kind of stuff I thought happens in movies about MIT, but it actually happens in the halls of MIT. And this is the day when the NCAA basketball tournament is ending, and it's also opening day at Fenway Park. There is legitimate stuff that kids should be talking about in the city of Boston on this day, and these two guys are doing math in a hallway, and I just feel so stupid. And it's exactly how I felt when I went to college here in Connecticut. It took me a long time to get to college. I got kicked out of my home after high school, and. I ended up homeless and in jail and on trial for a crime I didn't commit. My life was very messy for about six years. And so when I finally made it to college, to Trinity College, I arrived as a full-time student, but also as a full-time McDonald's manager. I was managing the McDonald's restaurant about two miles from campus. At the time, before cell phones, I had a beeper on my belt and I would be in a feminist literary criticism class and the beeper would go off because the fryer later at the McDonald's had broken and they desperately needed me to come back to fix it. And so I was going to college with genuinely brilliant people, people who had gone to high school with purpose and meaning and had managed to land in this institution. And I was sitting there rushing back and forth to a restaurant, working 50 hours a week, picking up Peruvian immigrants in the middle of Frog Hollow so I could get them to work so that they could be there so I could go to college. And as I sat in those classes, and I did well, I never felt like I belonged. I always knew that I was the dumbest one in the class. And I always hid all of this truth about me from my fellow students. I knew they wouldn't want to know that they were sitting next to a McDonald's manager, and they wouldn't want to know that I was just on the roof fixing an HVAC unit, or I was doing payroll. Like, this is stuff that they didn't have to worry about, and I felt foolish for having to do. And it's exactly how I feel in this hallway now. I'm at MIT, and I'm just a dumb storyteller working with geniuses. And so I finish my walk down the infinite corridor, and I take a left to go to the bathroom. I push the door open, and I'm six steps in when I look up and I see three women washing their hands at the sink, and I can hear a fourth woman peeing in the stall to my right. And I think, of course I have done this. This is not where I belong. And they look up at me, and they stare at me, and I apologize, and I step out of the women's restroom. And as the door's closing, I see the men's room. It's right here. Like, it's not hidden in any way. But I'm thinking maybe the door to the women's room is not properly marked. Maybe the sign fell off, but no, when it closes, it's clearly marked. Not only can I not do math in this building, but I can't read simple words either. And so I go into the men's room, and it's blessedly empty. There's eight urinals that line the wall, and I choose urinal number two, and I begin doing my business. And a couple seconds later, I hear the door open behind me, and a man sidles up to urinal number three right next to me. And this is weird. Like, if you're not familiar with men's room etiquette, we'll all pee next to each other if we have to. If there's eight people in the room, we'll all use all the urinals and think nothing of it. But if there's eight urinals, and I'm at urinal two, you should not be at urinal three. You should probably be at urinal seven. Four would be okay. 
There's just a certain level of exposure when you're using a urinal that we accept when it is necessary, but this is not necessary. And so right away I think this is probably some mathematical jackass who's trying to impose his brilliant intelligence upon me and make me feel stupid. But then I think, no, oh, I know what it is. He's a math student. He's one of these guys that can like write equations without numbers but doesn't understand how basic things work like urinals and bathrooms. Like he's going to shoot rockets into space but he's going to pee on people when he's in the bathroom. Like he's just one of these weirdos. And then I start to wonder, is this my hang-up? Like, maybe I'm not as confident about my situation as I thought I was. Like, maybe this isn't a big deal and this is all me. Whatever it is, all of that goes through my head while I'm peeing next to this guy. And so I finish before he does and I wash my hands quickly and I leave the bathroom and I head back down the infinite corridor to the geniuses. And as I walk into the room of the geniuses, it occurs to me that the last thing I was talking about before I left was the importance of small stories, of how everyone has a big story to tell, but we've got these little moments in our lives that can have real meaning for people, and those are the stories we have to find. And it occurs to me, I just had three of them in the infinite corridor. I walked by those two kids who were doing math on a day they shouldn't be, and they made me feel stupid. And then I walked into a women's bathroom and had people staring at me and a woman peeing to my right. And then I had that weird moment with that weirdo, aggressive freak at the urinal next to me. And I decided I'm going to tell them that. I'm going to explain to them how I could turn these, not necessarily into stories, but into moments where we could connect. And so I do. I tell them about the two kids in the hallway, and I tell them about the poor women in the bathroom where we charge into, and I tell them about the freak next to me who doesn't know what he's doing, and they're all laughing, and they get it. Like, they understand, and for a minute I feel, aha, Maybe I'm a little smarter than they are. And then I asked the geniuses, do you have any questions? And one of them raises their hand, and he says, that was me <laughs> at the urinal next to you. And I think, of course it was. His name is Tom. He runs the nanotech facility at MIT. He's a faculty member. He's been sitting right in front of me for the last two hours. But I didn't want to look sideways at the urinal to see who it was. And now I've told the whole class that he's an idiot and a freak, overly aggressive, socially awkward, and they've all laughed at him while he has been sitting here. I don't belong at MIT. <laughs> and so I immediately start to apologize. I backpedal, and he stops me. He says, no, no, he says, don't. He says, I had the same moment. He said, I went to the bathroom and I was thinking about all the things you were just telling me and when I walked into the bathroom, I was in a fog and I just wandered up to urinal number three and then I thought, oh my God, what have I done? I'm at urinal number three. And he said, and then I looked and I saw it was you and I thought, oh my God, it's him. It's the storyteller. I'm being weird with the storyteller. And he said, I didn't know what to do when you're peeing next to a storyteller. Do you tell him a story? Or does he have so many stories he just wants to pee in peace? He goes, I had the same moment you did. And I think, oh my God. We're not that different. After the class, Tom and I go to lunch together. He gives me an hour tour of his nanotech facility. He convinces me that nanotech is going to save all of our lives and we will live forever. At the end, he gives me nanotech swag for my children, 
And he tells me the next time I come to campus, he's going to spend the day with me and my family. And he's going to give us a tour of the whole campus, not just his facility. We shake hands at the end of the day, and since then we've exchanged three emails. He's going to become my friend, this guy who I called a weirdo, socially awkward, <laughs> stupid head. He's smarter than me for sure. He's going to save the world, but maybe he's not better than me. But it's not until I'm on the Mass Pike driving home that it occurs to me that maybe those kids at Trinity aren't that very much different than me either. That maybe when I was at Trinity, and I assumed that all those students wouldn't want to know they were sitting next to a McDonald's manager who was dealing with friarlators and HVAC units and payroll, maybe they would have wanted to know that. Maybe we weren't that different either. Maybe they have different lives than I have, but maybe my life would have been interesting to them. Or at least we could have been a little closer. I don't think I have hang-ups about using urinals. I think I'm fine with that. I think Tom was wrong on that day. But I think maybe when I was at Trinity for four years, I had a hang-up then. I think maybe I had a hang-up about what my life looked like at the time and what I was doing. And maybe if I had given those kids a chance, maybe I could have gotten to know them and maybe they would be my friends today the same way Tom is going to be my friend today. Thank you. Nice job, honey. Very good. I end, I end that story differently every single time I tell that story. But I like that ending, so I'm glad it's recorded. So just a couple things I'll share with you, and then we'll quickly take a break. So when I put that story together, I think the most important thing about that story is the idea that when we ask ourselves that really important question that I talk about all the time, why do we do the things that we do, that's when that story, I think, becomes something more important. It could easily be a story about weird stuff that happens to me at MIT and how it works out well for me. And that would have been a fine story. I do all of those things and Tom becomes my friend and everything's fine and it turns out we're not so different from each other. But it's not until truly I was on the Mass Pike, I was going by that awful Abington exit, it's the worst one in the country, the one that brings you into Cambridge, it's terrible. And I was driving past that exit when I said to myself, why did you get all stupid about being at MIT? Like, why were you feeling so stupid walking those halls? You're not that dumb. And it occurred to me, I said to myself, oh, it's Trinity. I felt the same way I felt when I went to Trinity. I would walk that campus feeling like an idiot, like an outsider, like I didn't belong, the same way I felt like I didn't belong at Trinity. And by adding that idea of me, the younger version of myself, and the way I used to think about myself, I think that's when the story becomes something more important. I think it is... It increases the chance of that story connecting with other human beings in a way that if I don't have that aspect to the story in it, I think it's just a funny thing that happened that turns out okay, which is fine. That's a fine story. But it's that depth that I'm always looking for. It's that notion of when I get to the story, we're not laughing anymore, but we're nodding. And a lot of you were nodding at me. A lot of you were going like, yes, I get it. And when you nod at me, what I assume you're thinking is, I understand what you're saying. There was a time in my life when I felt like I didn't belong, like I wasn't where I should be. There was a time when I didn't feel like I was smart enough to be in the room. You know, those are feelings I think most of us have. And I think that's going to be something that's going to connect with people that walking down a hallway in MIT and walking into a men's and a women's room and having funny moments, that's less likely that you're going to connect with those moments. You'll be entertained by them. You'll enjoy them. 
but the story won't have that resonance, I think, that uh, the depth of the Trinity, I think, brings to it. So I'm always looking to take a moment in my life, like the one I had at Trinity, that literally 10-minute section from leaving the room peeing and coming back and insulting Tom in the way that I did, take that moment from my life and find something more important to say about it. I think that's when stories start to linger with people more deeply. And so I think that's what I'm always looking to do. That's the important part of that story. Otherwise, you could probably all tell that story just as well. Because that's just funny because I was an idiot. And it's always funny to talk about when you're an idiot. And so that's convenient too. If you'd like to pitch your story for the podcast, or if you want more storytelling strategies, contact me at jenbanks16 at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at jenbankscoaching.com.